friends. You are listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network, and I am your host, Cherise Sims, mama to six beautiful heavens, from kindergarten to now high school. Y'all, I am entering a new world of parenting. I am also PBS Early Learning Champion. I am an advocate for children and parents, humans in general, and wife to Professor Hiram Sims, who is Los Angeles Public Library's commissioner under Mayor Karen Bass. If you haven't heard it before, you heard it now. We are proud over here of his work, proud over here of everybody's work. If you listen to the show, you know that I love to start every episode with the peak and pit of my day. It is something that I do with my family, a great way to connect and communicate and find a window into one another's day. The peak of my day is like my pop, who is a stroke survivor, um, was sitting at the table having his breakfast. And then he got up from the table to go hang out outside for a little bit when he saw ice cream come in with the groceries and make its way to the kitchen. And he did the slowest turnaround you will ever see. But he looked so excited about that ice cream that he turned around to follow the ice cream back to the kitchen so he could have himself some ice cream. Sometimes I just love watching the way that he moves and does things. And even the smallest thing like ice cream can bring an old man joy. And that brings me joy. So that was the peak of my day. (laughs) The pit of my day is that my daughter, my 13-year-old daughter, got on the metro train today with her papa. Long story short, we put her in a school that is about 45 minutes away from our house. We are trying to figure out the best form of transportation so that everybody can get to where they need to be each morning. And y'all, the stories they told me about some of these people they saw in the train, some of the interactions they had, have me feeling like we need to rethink things. (laughs) That is definitely the pit of my day, is like worrying about my 13-year-old child venturing out, getting older, and trying new things. Did I just say definitely the peak? It's definitely the pit of my day, is worrying about my 13-year-old child. So those are the peak and pit of my day. Today, we are going to talk about how to choose a school. So I know that we have like just gone back to school. We just got our kids back to school. If you're like me, we are still adjusting to new morning routines, new schedules, a new season of having our kids in school. And believe it or not, we are already at the point where we need to start forward thinking and thinking about next year. So if you have a child who is going into kindergarten next year, or you have a child who is going into middle school next year or high school next year, then thinking about choosing a school for next year, even though we're at the start of this year, is something that you need to start thinking about like right now. So one of the things that I learned with my oldest when she was getting ready to go to kindergarten, and I kind of learned it late in the game, was that applications for most schools, if you're not doing the traditional like school that's down the block and always open to, you know, your zip code, Any other choice that you want to have, there is usually an application window that happens in around October. I think that it starts at the beginning of October and it closes like early December, if not a little bit before that. So it's something that you really got to start thinking about in September so that you can know what your choices are and be able to have the opportunity to have several choices. Like, I don't think any of us want to get stuck with just like, here is where, here's the only open option. Here's the only place that you can go, regardless of whether or not you like it. This is the choice. 
right? And sometimes we end up in that situation where you have no choices and only one option because you did not realize the time frame of like when you needed to start researching these things. So if you're listening today and you have a child that's going into kinder, middle, or high school, know that you that time frame is now. And if you have a little one, hang in here, still listen because the time is going to go by so fast <laughs> and you are going to be looking at kindergartens very soon. So today we're going to talk about like how do we know what school to choose? There are so many options nowadays. I feel like in the past, we've always just kind of had like public school or private school, and those were the range of our options. But today, we now have public school, charter school, religious school, secular private school, homeschool, out school, unschool, right? There are a wealth of options. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what those options are and then how to best choose those options. Because there there is such a long list of all of the options, I don't want to go through every option with you, but I do want to give you like a general idea. Obviously, you have your public school. That is the school that's in your neighborhood. That is the school that's designed by zip code. It's probably the easiest one for you to find. It's right there up the block. Then you have charter schools, which is a type of public school. But charter schools are ran by a board, so they have more freedom than typical public schools. They have more freedom from the state regulations than traditional schools do. However, they are still heavily held accountable to their fiscal practices, to their things like attendance, different things like that, right? So they're still held to certain standards. They're still held accountable, but they are more flexible in the type of curriculum they implement in their funding because they have more opportunity to get more funding from different places, to do more fundraisers. So they have more flexibility and freedom in how they operate the school. They also invite parents and neighborhoods to be more a part of the school. Then you have something called community schools, which is similar to charter schools. It's a public school, but it's not based in zip code. It is not as flexible as charter schools. It's heavily regulated and funded by the state the same way public schools are. But because it's a community school, it it accepts children from different zip codes. And I want to make a side note here, because one thing that you do want to look out for is like your school rating. If you are in a specific place, all public schools have to make their Uh, standardized tests and testing scores and all of that, it has to be public records. So you have access to be able to see the dropout rate of the school, the expulsion rate of the school, the standardized test scores of the school. And if you are in a district where your school is falling behind in all of those test scores, you actually have the option to say, I don't want my child to go here. And you have the option to take your child to a different school and say, based on their school scores, we're not sending them there. Now, I can't tell you because it varies state by state. I can't tell you exactly what that what that score is, but it is something for you to know where you can Google and find out like what do those scores and analytics look like that give you the option to just choose another school even if it's not your zip code. A magnet school is a school that usually specializes in a certain area. You have STEAM magnet schools. You have art magnet schools. You have athletic magnet schools, right? So these different magnet schools all specialize in a certain subject areas, and they're called magnet because they are literally pulling from different zip codes to try to create more diversity and more opportunity for people in different areas. Then you have things like virtual schools. I think that's pretty obvious what a virtual school is. You have schools that this is more for your high school age group, 
but there are specific high schools that actually offer more AP classes, APR advanced placement classes where you can start to work on college credits while still in high school. They have some high schools, some are public, some are private, right? But this is all just kind of, I'm shooting information at you so you can kind of take note of like, what should I be thinking about? What kind of questions should I be asking? So there are certain high schools that do offer AP classes, some more than others. And there are some public high schools or private high schools that are in partnership with local community schools and sometimes even local universities so that by the time your child graduates 12th grade, they actually are able to graduate with their AA degree as well. These are amazing programs because they are going to save you time and money, right? (laughs) They save you money because you have 60 units of college credit out the way that you got not at the same cost that you would if you sent your child to a four-year university. Your child is ahead. It looks great on their transcripts when they are applying for schools. And it obviously opens up like a wealth of other opportunities. Past that, you have things like religious schools, private schools, and homeschools. And one thing I want to tell you with homeschools that a lot of people are still learning is that homeschool no longer looks like me, the parent, I'm going to educate my child at home. Nowadays, homeschool has a wealth of resources and options where you can get a more flexible education, something that is more fitting for you and your family, more personalized to you, your family, and your child, and you don't have to be the one to do it. So there are actually several charter schools, and this is something that I do with two of my children. Last year, I did it with three of my children. Two of my children are enrolled in a public charter school program. So it's a part of LAUSD, a Los Angeles Unified School District. They get funding for their classes. However, the school allows me, the parent, to design and decide what their curriculum is going to look like. Through that charter school and their funding, I then send them to what's considered like a private unschool where they have several classes. So all their needs for science, PE, field trips, extracurricular, social studies, they take those classes with different teachers. So I am not their teacher. I am not building their curriculum. I am not creating the lesson plans. And they have what's called an education specialist through the charter school where they meet every 20 days and they go over and make sure that they are meeting all of the state standards. So they look at what they're learning. They look at their projects and their homework and their tests and whatever else. And then they align it with the state standards of what they should be learning or what they would be learning in like your traditional public school. So there are many options for you to look at when it comes to finding the right school for your child. And I think that many of us who are parents today with young children or middle school or high school children is like, we're so used to the way that we grew up and we think that school still looks the same. School looks very different. I mean, the fact that we have to apply and start thinking about this in September, I don't know if my mom did that when I was growing up, but I remember it being like, hey, you got to a certain age, you went to the next school. Bing, bang, boom. Is that what people say? Bing, bam, bada, bing, bada, boom. (laughs) Like it was simple and easy, but now we do have so many more choices and so many more opportunities with those choices to find something that really aligns with our goals for our child, our child's strengths, weaknesses, or challenges, and gifts. And so you can really start to look at like all of these different options. 
And I will put these options in our podcast club. If you don't know, we have a Parenting for the Culture Podcast Club. It's a free Google Classroom. So after this episode, I am going to post all of these different options in there so that you can see what they look like and kind of research on your own which one you think might be best for your child. Now, when it comes to selecting a school for your child, the first thing I want you to do, there's about four steps that I have to share with you about how to choose the right school for your child. But before we even get to step number one, One thing that you're going to do is write down the five most important things to you when it comes to placing your child in a school. And those five most important things, obviously, those are yours. So I can't tell you what they are. But for some examples in the way of like, how do I want to be thinking when it comes to the most important things, you probably want to think think about things like proximity to your house, right? (laughs) Clearly, I didn't think about that because my child was on a train this morning. (laughs) (laughs) But that was not one of the most important things for me. However, proximity to your home may be one of the most important things to you. Diversity might be one of the most important things. Academics, how well is the school performing? And then like a special offering, right? Like science, technology, engineering, and math might be what's important for you to find. Performing arts might be something that's important for somebody else to find. A D1 school in athletics might be one of the five most important things for another family. So think about what are five of the most important things for you and write those down. Another thing, and I'm sharing this because as a mom of six children, it's something that sometimes, sometimes I forget to think about it, but I will say that it is a pretty relevant thought that is always pressing anytime I choose to do something for my children which is like the longevity of the school, right? I would much rather prefer to find a school that's sixth grade to 12th grade or kindergarten through eighth grade because I know now that I have X amount of years before I need to look for the next school. Or I know that I have X amount of years where I'm taking all of the siblings to one location before having to split them up. And that was something that really was a huge important deciding factor because I have kind of three groups of children who are in different levels of school. So it makes the difference of like, do I need to, in the mornings and afternoons, am I dropping off and picking up to three different schools, one school, or two different schools, right? So those are things that we want to think about when we're thinking about the five most important things that we're looking for in a school when selecting our school. So let's go into step number one for how we're selecting a school for our child. Step number one is consider your child and consider your family. Consider your child's needs. And when I talk about your child's needs, I mean, does your child need a place that has more structure in their environment? Or is your child someone that needs less structure in their environment? What are the needs? Does your child have special needs? Some schools have great IEP programs. Some schools, although schools are supposed to offer it, not all schools have a strongly developed IEP program for their children. So these are things you want to look at and consider when looking at things for your child. You may have a child that is autistic, and there are some schools, even states, that are more friendly and more accommodating towards autistic children. So these are things you want to think about when thinking about your child's needs. You know, what is the student-to-teacher ratio? What are the language needs of the school? Is English their first language, second language? Like, what are the needs and what are the 
supplies that the school and the resources that the school can offer you. What is your child's learning style? You want to think about, does your child learn best by seeing things? Do they learn best by touching and reading? And I ask this or I pose this question because there are schools that you will see are PBL schools. PBL schools are play-based learning schools. So you have some schools that honor the fact that some children are more hands-on in their learning. And so they provide more opportunity for hands-on learning. They provide more opportunity for team projects and project-based learning, right? And then you have some schools that are very like students are working on their own, students are doing standardized tests. One thing I hear from parents a lot today is kind of this negative outlook on schools that are very traditional and do have very structured environments and do have testing and all this and that. But I can tell you that my oldest daughter, she would actually thrive in that environment. Like she is a learner that does well with structure. She does well with tests. Tests actually make her feel good about herself when she does well on the tests, right? She likes to be able to see where she's at. So some of these things that nowadays have been deemed as like bad, 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 they're not bad. It's just knowing your child and knowing their learning style and what challenges they have so that you know what works best for them. So some children are motivated by test scores. Some children have a great amount of anxiety from test scores. So think about your child when trying to determine your child's needs, right? So we're going to move into step two of four steps for selecting a school. And step two is gathering information about the schools. Now, anytime we're looking to get something, right, like whether you're buying a house or a car or even a new vacuum, you are looking at the reviews of that place, right? Maybe not with a house. I don't know who's reviewing homes out here, but (laughs) with a car or with a vacuum or an appliance, one of the first things you do is like you research it. You go to Yelp, even a restaurant. You go to Yelp, you look at the reviews, you look at the stars that it has. You probably did that with this podcast before listening to your first episode. You probably looked at how many stars are there. What are people saying about it? So that's something you also want to do with your school. And there are many places where you can see what people are saying about it. There are several websites that rate schools, right? There's like niche.com, but then there are other websites where parents are giving their ratings and parents are giving their reviews. And then you have things like Facebook, where you can look up a hashtag, whatever that school is, look up the hashtag of the school or look at tags that the school has been tagged in. And you can see firsthand what parents and community are saying about that particular school. Then you can actually head to the school's website and you want to look at things like the curriculum. Does the, Do they have a strong curriculum in their core academics? Do they have a strong curriculum in diversity, edu- uh, equity, and inclusion? This is something that's very important to me. I want to look at how are you approaching race and diversity and culturally relevant material? What is my child learning? Especially nowadays with all the bans happening, like look at your district, look at what books have been banned and are not a part of the curriculum. Look at what they have recently taken out of the curriculum or implemented back into the curriculum or into the curriculum. Do you guys have ethnic studies at the school? What are my children going to be learning? And what is the approach to that learning? What are the teaching styles of the school? What are the individual like performances? So I talked about, you know, project-based learning, play-based learning. What, what are the approaches to learning that that school is using? How is the staff communicating what 
the children are learning in school. All of this are things that you can find out before you enter a school. You can find it out, like I said, through Facebook groups, through hashtags, through review pages on Google, and then you can go to their actual website, right? Of course, if you go to the website of the school, they're going to give you the guns and roses. Like they're going to give you the best of what their school offers. But you still want to see that and you still want to know it because you want to know like, what is your goal and your mission? What are you offering? And one thing that I also advise you to look at is like the behavior policy and the policies all around. There are places that address behavior in different ways, right? Some places like to use the reward system. Some places, regardless of the age group, right, they might have things like calm down corners or meditation rooms, or they can go and hang out with a counselor and and cool off. Or sometimes it's just, we have a zero tolerance policy for this. They get sent home. They don't get to come back. You want to know what the behavior policies are. And now as a Black mom in the United States... (laughs) One of the policies I also look for are like, what are your policies on racism? If you are a parent who is raising a queer child or a child in the LGBTQIA community, you want to ask them what the policies are for when there are trans or homophobic comments being made, hateful comments being made, you know, things that may harm or hurt your child, or even if your child is a part of the community in the in the realm of them being an ally, something that they're passionate about, some someone that they're passionate about. Like, know these policies. These are things that I ask because I want to know if hurtful things are said or done in the school, how are you protecting my child? How are you protecting the other children? What are we doing about that? And there are schools that do not have a zero tolerance, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think sometimes we want everything to be very black and white and we want it to be a zero tolerance and we want them to be kicked out and for this to never happen again. I for sure agree that there are several things that I don't ever want to happen again. But if there is a school that does not have a zero tolerance policy, ask them what their method of addressing it is. What is your method to address these things? What is your method to correct these things? Because zero tolerance is not necessarily a bad thing, but you want to make sure that it's not a dismissive thing, that there is still learning and correction happening within this facility in regards to behavior, policy, safety, all of that. And I think I've repeated in several episodes that when it comes to safety, when I think about safety, I always think about physical safety, emotional safety, mental safety. Nowadays, another thing we have to wonder about or ask about is like, what are the different drills that this school is doing? Are we having shooter drills? Are we having fire drills, earthquake drills? Is the school environment accessible to everybody? Are parents allowed on the campus? That's one thing that we want to think about. As a parent, I want to be able to come on campus. I'm not saying I want to be able to just walk in because that's going to make me look at the school sideways. But if I want to come visit a classroom and sign up for that? Like, is that an option for me? So these are all things that we want to think about when looking at step two. Step three is visiting and observing the school. Most schools are going to have tour dates or open house dates or different things, right? 
And these are wonderful to go to. They give you a chance to explore the whole school, the classrooms, meet some of the teacher, meet some of the admin and faculty, get kind of a feel of what are the vibes of the school? How do I feel when walking on campus? Is it clean? Is it new? Is it updated? Is it safe? Is it accessible? You get to see all these things when you visit and observe. Another thing that I look at, and I learned this actually from my husband, but one thing to look at when you visit and observe is inclusion and diversity. And you don't just see this in the people, you see this on the walls. Like, look at the walls of who the, who the pictures of the school board are. Is it diverse? Do you have representation? Do you have someone on that board that looks like they, they're going to care about your child and all of the other children? Who are the historic leaders that they have up on the walls? We always see pictures of certain presidents, right? Or of all 44, 44, look look at what year I'm in. (laughs) Or of all of the presidents on the wall, right? But do they also have other historic leaders on the wall? And what backgrounds do they come from? Do we have culturally diverse representation for historic leaders that are just on the walls walking through? If you walk into a classroom and you see you know, the how to sit in class, how to raise your hand. Sometimes there are these charts on the wall of like, how do you feel? Here's how we show respect. Here's how we practice public speaking. And on these charts are usually pictures and emojis of of people. In the past, all of those people have been white people. Nowadays, we have access to charts that are more representative of the children in our classrooms. Are our teachers up to date with that? So that's something that I look at when I'm visiting and observing schools. I'm also looking at access to like, what are their actual resources? Like, do we have enough books in the classroom? Do we have enough computers? All of that stuff. Is the principal somewhere where I can see them? When it comes to visiting and observing, like, yes, you can go for the open houses. You can go for the tours. Those are going to be great. You're going to have space to ask your questions. But also see if there's a time that you can just like stop in on a regular school day. You get the most information when you can stop in on a regular school day. And I'm not talking about like just popping up and asking if you can walk through, because if they say yes, that would make me question the school in in terms of like issue of safety. Like I don't just want anybody anytime popping up at a school, walking through my child's school, right? That doesn't make me feel safe. So even things like that in your interactions with the school, depending on what they say and how they approach you and address you, like I take that into consideration, When I call the school and someone answers, are they happy? Do they sound like they like their job? (laughs) Are they helpful? All of that I take into consideration every step of the way when looking at schools. But ask them if you can schedule a time to just come in on a school day. You can let them know, like, my schedule doesn't permit for me to come to the tour day. I understand that you have the tour days. Unfortunately, my schedule doesn't permit for me to come. Is there any other time that I can come between these hours or these times and just observe, right? Some schools will let you do that. And you will gain so much information from just being able to walk through the hallways and uncannedly hear how these teachers are talking to their students, to see what activities are happening, again, to see whether or not you actually see the principal and the vice principal, like how active and invested are they in their teachers and their students. That's another thing to think about is like asking about the longevity of the teachers at the school. There are some schools that are able to hold on to teachers for 20, 30 years. There are other schools where you notice that teachers are rotating in and out every couple of years. If you see that, that's kind of a red flag. There's a reason why they're not holding on to teachers for long periods of time. 
So these are things to look at and to think about. And once you've done those first three steps, now you're at step four, which is actually applying to the schools that you choose. So you want to apply to multiple schools because, again, you want to have options. You want to be able to pick which one is best. If you don't get your top choice, you want to have a second choice that you're pretty satisfied with and happy about. And this part you want to do early on, right? You want to start applying probably in October. Again, I don't know what state you live in. In California, these applications open in October. But I think in most places, they are opening in the fall season. So you want to start those applications in the fall season, and you want to know what that application process looks like. For your younger grades, kindergarten, middle school, it usually, depending on the school, there's a rubric of like, it's usually a lottery system, honestly. At the younger schools, it's either a public school that's just open, you put your child in, great, it's easy. For charter schools and magnet schools and some of these other choices that we have, there's usually some type of lottery system involved. And if you have siblings, you usually have a greater chance with that second sibling. Like once your child is already in the school, your second child is more likely to get in the same school as siblings. Like they do consider that, they do honor that, they do respect that. And that's another thing like to think about when you're sending that first child, is this a feasible place for me to send them knowing that there are children coming behind them? Are are my other children going to follow them to this school? Is this going to be easy enough and functional enough for the whole family? So in this step four of looking at your applications, also look at the application process. Different schools have different requirements for all of what they need to apply. Usually when you get to the high school level, depending on what high school you're choosing, you are doing more in terms of application. You are meeting more deadlines. There is usually like the initial application is due by this date. Many high schools do require you to actually visit the high school and do a certain amount of orientations and interactions with the high school. And those are only offered at certain dates. So you want to get yourself a calendar, look at these dates, put all of these dates in your calendar so you can kind of work backwards. You can see when the initial application is due, when the orientations are happening. Usually, believe it or not, for high school, there are several high schools that are now requiring certain essays or letters of recommendation. This world has gotten ridiculously competitive, (laughs) y'all. Like, this only happened in college for us, but now with high schools, we still need these letters of recommendation from our teacher, which you really want to know the dates on that, because as a teacher... I can tell you that we are already busy doing a lot of things, and you do not want to ask us for a letter of recommendation like a few days or a week before it's due. If you go on right now and start looking at a high school you're interested in, look at when that letter of recommendation is due so you can start scouting out your teachers now, right? Give them time to write you a good letter of recommendation. There are a couple of things that I left out that I want to hit real quick. One of them is A huge thing you actually want to look at is like the finances of the school or the financial commitment of the school. So some schools are free. Wonderful. Some schools are private. You got to pay a certain tuition. There's probably some scholarships that you can be awarded. And again, if you are like me and you have multiple children, don't just think about like, oh, I can do that tuition this year. Think about in two years when that younger sibling gets there, can you do two tuitions? Is there a sibling discount? And then for some schools that are free schools, or even private schools, you might look at the upfront costs and think, okay, this is what the tuition is. There may be other costs involved. There are several schools that have 
pledges of you got to pledge to raise this much money this year and we got to have it by this time. And you don't always find that out at the orientation or at the start. So you don't want these surprise financial commitments. So ask the schools about financial pledges, fundraisers, commitments to those fundraisers, and like what is the required amount that you are financially expecting from me by the end of this year. The last thing that I want you to know is that on a lot of these websites, especially when it comes to magnet or charter programs, if you go to the website to apply, in California, for instance, it's called eChoices, they usually let you filter out the different schools that you're looking for. So there are several websites, like if you have made that list that we talked about at the beginning, the list of five most important things, there are ways for you to put those filters in and apply those filters to your search. So if you're looking for STEM programs, you can find all STEM high schools so that you don't even have to look at the other high school, 100 high school options. So look for those websites that also help you filter out the schools that you're looking for, whether it's homeschool, private, public, whatever your interests are, to kind of fine tune and funnel in the, the uh, a few of the, you know, a smaller few so that you're not looking at 100 school options. You are looking at like five to 10 good options that hold the interests that you want. Your homework for today is to create the, that list of top five most important things to you when choosing a school. And after you make that list, I want you to head over to the Parenting for the Culture podcast club. I want you to join us there because remember, I'm going to be putting in a list there that shows you all the different kinds of schools that are available. So that will help you to get familiar to make your list. It'll also connect you to other parents and other community where you can ask them, how did you make this choice? What did you forget to look for? What did you forget to ask? Because even though I'm here giving you these four steps of how to choose a school, I am also here sending my 13-year-old on a train (laughs) to a school that is very far away. But it is by choice, right? I went through my five most important things, and that was not one of the most important things, although it is weighing heavily on us now. So again, if you see me in the Parenting for the Culture podcast club, we can talk more about like how do we navigate these choices So meet us over there. And if you ever have any questions, whether it's about school or raising your child or your toddler, whatever it is, send your questions in to podcasts with an S at blacklove.com. Or you can DM me your questions at Cherie Sims on Instagram. And be sure to come back because while we talked about grade school today, we are going to do another episode of how to pick out a nursery school or like an infant center slash daycare for your little children, because that process is quite different. And as someone who has had both a daycare and a preschool, I can really walk you through what we should be looking for to keep our little ones that don't have the strongest communication skills. How do we keep them safe? How do we find the perfect place for them? So tune in, bring a friend. If you know someone that has a little and is in this process right now, bring them here to Parenting for the Culture, and I will connect with you all next week. Happy parenting, friends. Mm -hmm.